Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast um Konsprechen und der Lüden dat machen dem. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast by constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. And up in Maine is Mike Lentine. Hello. Was that slow enough for you? Yes, that was perfect. I was teasing I was teasing George for saying the Tang line too fast. <laughs> I'm just used to saying it, so I I say it. The way I say it. Anyway. So <laughs> Uh, we we uh, aborted one one instance of this episode already, so uh, <laughs> I may you, have internet. yeah we I may have some of that in the outtakes, but for now we just need to really just jump right into our topic for today, which is tones and tonal languages. Yay! Um, so I wanted to start out just by going over a few of the basics and a little terminology. Uh, we're going to talk about, so there's different types of tone systems, first of all. Um, many tones just have, many tonal languages are just based on relative pitch. Uh, uh, those, those are like the two-tone and three-tone systems that uh, William's probably more familiar with than me, but... Uh, uh, and then there's also contour tone systems where each syllable has not just a pitch attached to it, but a sort of a, uh, a, 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 maybe a dip or a falling tone or those, the, they're more, uh, complex. Your voice is moving between different pitches. Um, and, uh, just a, a small note on how we're going to talk about tones. Um, usually when wing linguists are classifying tones, we use a, a scale of one to five, um, which the way I learned it was five is the highest and one is the lowest, but apparently there are different conventions where we'll use that, use it that way right now for right now. And, um, basically, you just, the normal speaking voice, you divide it into five pitches. And then for the, the regular old, like, uh, the just pitch tone systems, you just name one of those pitches. And then for contour tones, you name all the pitches it hits in order. So, for example, Mandarin third tone is, uh, can, is, uh, Labeled as three one two for ah, because it sort of falls and then rises up. It's not perfect. Um, I think based on subjective sort of experience that different speakers have different sort of ranges of tones. But yeah. you know, and as as I want to reemphasize something you said, George. Take the normal range of your sort of average speaking voice and divide that into five. It's not like you need to move to the very height of your natural voice range for five. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, High tone is not like, ma. It's not, ah, it's just, ma, ma. Right, yeah. Versus, you know, 
the the one is like ah ah ah, and then right. a five is like ah 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 for my voice anyway. Yeah. So, uh, and that's that's a good good point because uh, one thing just to throw out to uh, to um, to debunk a misconception out there, tonal languages are not singing. No. It is it is just the pitches of your normal speaking voice and it's all relative. There's no uh there's no absolute pitch involved. Now there are some little things like pe- speakers of tonal languages they may each speaker ideologically might sort of have be consistent in how their pitches are distributed. But it still is a lot of variation. And there's, yeah. there's things like, um, speakers of tonal languages, native speakers of tonal languages are slightly more likely to have perfect pitch, but it's not a requirement or anything to understand how tone works. Right. And anyone who claims they're tone deaf is lying. Well, not lying, but they're misinformed. There's no such thing as tone deafness, really. Um, and if you are a speaker of English and claim you're tone deaf, then I would like you to explain to me how it is you understand when someone is asking you a question. <laughs> yeah, I think um, probably everyone can at least understand relative differences in pitch. Right, absolutely. Yeah. I think people who claim that they're tone deaf or, or or have other people claim that they're tone deaf have problems with musical ability. When I'm trying to explain to someone, I tell them that it's not so much, you know, it's not judging what pitch is this. When you're talking about tone system, especially Chinese, that's the only one I've had experience in. Um, just like in English, you were, like you were saying of questions, if you say, you know, if, you want, if you're asking someone, you know, a chicken versus chicken, there's no question about which way the tone is going. And the same kind of t- uh, contour is what, they talk, what in Chinese is important at a lexical level. And yeah. other tonal languages use that at a much more you know, segmental level rather than super segmental. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't need to get too far into this, this sort of basic explanation, but I just wanted to, to, to highlight that for people because, you know, we might have some people who are not too, um, not too familiar. One other, uh, a couple other simple things. There's off, um, we'll talk probably about Tone Sunday later, but there's, um, uh, I should, I want to note also that very often tones will get reduced in running speech. So the, the Mandarin third tone that I, I just, uh, talked about, the, ah, uh, you don't hear that full tone in running speech very often. Usually <laughs> you hear what? Ever, right? We're taught this thing and then we never hear it again. Yeah. You only ever actually hear that full tone uh articulated in like poetry reading with the because um there's uh, a particular uh way to read uh Chinese poetry that draws out the tones. Or in careful but, speech I think. Like very, yeah, very like, maybe in, yeah sometimes in careful speech. But in running speech um you it, it's basically always reduced to a short low tone with creaky voice ah so right. the 
it's it's possible for like these sort of canonical values of your tones to be reduced as well. So that's that's another thing. But after that sort of bit of little bookkeeping, let's get into the whole um uh bit about tone. So we talked about super segmentals way back in episode thirty three. We talked about tone a little bit, um, but not as much as we're gonna talk about today. Um one thing I have long noticed is there are not too many conlangs that use tone. There are some. Um, I am ludicrously fond of them, much more fond of them than probably is um, matches the reality. But then I looked at walls. We all love walls. And in their numbers, which includes 500 plus languages, about two thirds of their languages are tonal to some degree. That's that's actually a little bit surprising. That's a lot of tone languages. And like yeah. almost the entirety of sub-Saharan Africa has is tone languages. Oh, okay. Um and there are other hotspots of tone as well. That's 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 a pretty dense area, so. Right, right. Um so uh Walls talking about tones talks about two uh simple versus complex tone systems. Mm-hmm. Um the simple ones are more common, uh significantly more common than the complex systems, and the simple Systems have either a two-way or a three-way split. Mm-hmm. So the two-way split is simply high versus low, and languages like Navajo and Nobin um, have that. And then you have a three-way split, which is high, mid-low. Um, a good one is Yoruba. Um, you should be able to find information about that pretty well. It has a, a three-way system. Mm-hmm. And then for the complex systems is when you have more contrast and especially when you have tone contours. Yeah. I, I feel like if you have more than three, you're necessarily going to have at least one contour tone. I think I don't know if that's true, but it seems pretty darn likely. Yeah. I, I mean, that would be a good sort of rule of thumb to follow because it would be a little difficult to distinguish like a four from a five as opposed to a three and a five. So. Right. Well, one of the things you talk about, and this appears, and based on some of the reading I did for the show, it really seems like phonation changes and tone changes go together a lot more than I fully appreciated before. So you might get creaky voice or breathy voice. Um, technically, when you have a mixed system like this, it's called a pitch register system. Mm-hmm. So at, at this point, I would argue that Mandarin Chinese has a pitch register system because when you actually speak it like a normal Chinese human being, the third tone is either tone sundied away and it sounds like a second tone or you get the low creaky voice. Yeah. Um, right. Um, so I, it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me to get a system of more than three tones where they were flat, but there was some other phonation change. I'm just guessing here. I've not actually seen something that does that. Um, the, <laughs> the the largest number of tones in a single language I was able to find is the Wobe language in Africa, which claims to have 14, according to one analysis. It freaked George out when we were getting ready for the show. Yeah, so this this is really weird because, like, previously I thought, like, Cantonese was weird with six tones. Right. But this has 14 different tone distinctions. And, like, I'm, like, almost skeptical of analyzing it this way because it's so many distinctions. But uh, it's uh, it's possible. <laughs> right. And it has four level tones in addition to a massive contours. 
Yes. Um, uh, and then, and then another related language with ten, merely ten tones is um, way. Um, they're both in the same family, and I've got links to those. Unfortunately, we don't have more detail about them available online, which is sad. Yeah. Um. So one thing we've. So that's it, right? You can have a simple system or a complex system. Um. And we'll just go from there. So the next thing that can happen is tone sandhi. Yeah. Um. Mm. People familiar with Chinese will will know this very well. Will know um, in Mandarin there is one Sunday rule that at least that you learn in uh, in classes. Yeah. Which is um, when you have two third tones together, the first one turns into a second tone. So the very first word you probably learned, ni uh, hao, ni uh, is third tone and hao is third tone, but uh, because they come together. No one ever ni, says ni hao. Ni, ni hao. That's really difficult to pronounce, actually. So it turns into ni hao. Right. Uh, and so sandhi, for those who don't know it, is a linguistics term borrowed from Sanskrit. It refers to changes that happen when sounds run into each other. Mm-hmm. And so tone sandhi is just when two syllables with different tones run into each other, what can happen. And Chinese has a little bit of tone sandhi. Some languages have very crazy, hairy, complex tone sandhi. Yeah. And they make us sad. Vietnamese, they're re- rational people who have no tone sandhi at all. <laughs> okay. So it's it's possible to have none. Yes. Um, and uh, interestingly, for people who are interested in history, uh, it seems like sort of tone sandhi, if you get a lot of it, can be sort of a path toward pitch accent. Because some people... Have can have thought that uh, Wu or um, well the the Chinese language that includes Shanghainese um, has so much tone sandhi that it's like turning into a pitch accent system. Right. So it's it, it's really uh, sort of an interesting thing for historical processes. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to discuss all the different kinds of tone sandhi. You can look that up. Yeah. It it it'll go. Uh, that's probably going to be a giant rabbit hole yep. because, you know, it's going to be as much as any other assimilation process or assimilation exactly. process. Exactly. Again. All sorts of fun can go in there. Um, so other kinds of tone processes can happen in a language, in the languages like uh, Mandarin or Vietnamese, typically a, a, a word and a syllable or a multi-syllable word have tone and that's it. They're always going to have that always and forever ignoring sunday changes. However, especially in African languages, it seems to me various kinds of grammatical things can be marked by tone switches mm-hmm. in a word. So a few episodes ago, I mentioned that all that was left of the definite article in some African languages is a tone change at the beginning or the end of a word. Yeah. Um, sometimes actually things like aspect marking or tense marking or number marking might um, be indicated by tone switcheroos. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Nobin, which is uh, a Nubian language, um, there are several kinds of plural marking, um, and there's one kind of plural that is especially preferred with disyllabic words that have either a high-low or a low-high tone pattern. Oh, interesting. Right? So tone can get really involved in your grammatical processes a lot might mark case all sorts of all those sorts of things you might imagine 
And typically, historically, and we're going to get to that in a minute, that represents the loss of something. That yeah, was, yeah. It was more um, than just a tone, typically. Well, we'll get into what what the – well, that, that can sort of be a segue into what – Well, there's uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention that I thought was neat. Okay. Um, in Nobin, you can get lots of noun compounds. And typically what will happen is the first element, all of the vowels are switched to low tone, and then only the last element of the word, the, the new compound word, keeps its tones. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you can have a lot of uh, fun little processes if you... Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of tonal hanky-panky is possible. And, yeah. and we're talking about... I mean, so many, so often we're used to tone language, we immediately think Chinese, so we think monosyllabic um, lexemes for the most part, mm-hmm. yeah. like Vietnamese. But in African languages, you can have easily multi-syllabic words, each with their own particular pitch pattern. This is also true of Navajo, right? Each word has its own tone pattern. And this is not, you know, it's, it's across multi-syllable words. We, we, this is not simply monos- uh, monosyllables. There's a sort of a from from what I understand, there's actually sort of a continuum uh, that where um, complex tone systems, simple syllable structures, and analytic uh, typology all sort of go together, and Chinese is way far close to one end of that spectrum. <laughs> yeah. I would expect so. Um, but you can you can dial it back a bit and have multisyllabic words, little slightly more syllable complexity, and still have tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another thing, and I forgot to look this up. Uh, Vietnamese especially has all sorts of crazy modified reduplication patterns to do fun lexical things, mm-hmm. um, and tone can get involved in that as well. Okay. So the reduplicated syllable may have particular um, patterns. Uh, of tones to match the tone of the of the word being reduplicated. Um, so that that's just something to look up if you're interested in um, another possibility for fun grammar uh, with tone. And then before we get to the historical stuff, I just wanted to say, as we've hinted at before, tone and other phonation changes go together a lot. Yeah. Um, Especially, I think, uh, creaky voice gets associated with low tones. Not always. Not always. It can be, but sometimes you can get high creaky voice, which surprised me the first time I ran into it. Uh, Ooh, um, there, must be, there must be some interesting historical stuff going on. Yeah, I, I would guess. So both breathy voice and creaky voice often get involved in these systems, especially mm-hmm. for the complex tone systems. I don't think it happens too often with simple, you know, two-way systems, but... With the, the more complex tone systems, that's very likely to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we ready for historical processes? Yeah, I think so. Oh. And tonogenesis, which sounds, tonogenesis. Like an anime, which sounds like an anime series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, and Sandy is one of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> <Sandy is laughs> one of the, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Somebody's going to make that now. Uh, (laughs) Tonogenesis is just how on earth do these tones come into being? Um, And typically it is the, it's, it's a a result of conditioned variation running off on its own. So for example, you might get a tone split in syllables between whether they're following a voiced stop or a voiceless stop. Mm-hmm. And then the language might lose the voicing contrast in consonants altogether, and the only thing you have left then is tone switches. 
Yeah, mm. I think the the main. Uh, I think uh, to get a little bit into the theoretical on here, it's it's basically like if you look at a spectrogram, you will see that the the pitch of a vowel gets bent a little bit at the ends where they're where they interact with the consonant. Yeah, and that sort of bending is where the tone comes from. It's sort of like you have several generations of babies that pay more <laughs> attention to that tone bending than to the consonant. Right. I was just going to make a joke about how a vowel and a consonant love each other very much, and then they make a tone. <laughs> <laughs> and then the consonant goes away and the tones remain? Right. That's such a sad story. Yeah, well, <laughs> circle of life, circle of life. <laughs> Don't make that into a children's novel. That'd be horrible. Right. Yes. Okay. And now um, all we have are single consonants and single vowel and single tones. Uh, oh. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> uh, and another thing that can happen, as George has mentioned, there's these um, this bending, if you want some sort of effect that's happening to vowels when they collide with consonants. You might have a language with a simple tone system that will become complex by the same process. So uh. you might have a two-tone system and then something funky will start happening after your voiced consonants, um, and then you'll lose the switch, and then you've got now a complex tone system and a loss in a voicing contrast in your consonants. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so an example that I've been giving so far is the, the voiced stop um, in a syllable onset causes a lower tone in the following syllable, and then it goes away. Um, contour tones, it seems to me, are somewhat more likely to happen on long vowels. Hmm. I mean, you can get contour tones in a simple uh, language or a simple tone system such as Navajo still has things that look like contour tones because it has long vowels. Oh, yeah, that's that's another thing. You often get like a falling tone or a rising tone in those. Right. But right. It's, With- it's it's I don't it, those are like not phonemic, are they? Uh, that's a good question. They might. I mean, they're important. I don't know if they're. You know, uh, that that would be something that we need to look up. So yep. it's sort of, um, you can get like these these sort of issues where like some phonological process causes a falling tone on a long vowel or something like that. Um, some of that was happening, as I recall, in Cherokee. Was mm-hmm. taking what could have been a simple tone system and making it complex, um, conditioned conditionally complex. Yeah. Sometimes it'll be, it's a little bit difficult to analyze this. So when you're looking at natural languages, you might have disagreements on the analysis. Yeah. On certain, certain languages. There's, there's some that are well studied and, and pretty well, it's pretty well understood what the tone system is, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another thing that can cause tones to come into existence is the coda consonant. That is the, the, you know, the, consonants that occur at the end of a syllable. Um, especially thing glottal things cause all sorts of mayhem. So coda, H, or glottal stop um, are good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Athabascan languages, we have some languages that have tone and some languages that do not have tone. Yeah. And what has happened is that it, languages without tone can have glottal, uh, um, like ejectives as codas. Mm-hmm. But the languages with tone have gotten rid of all glottalic elements at the end of a syllable. 
Man, an adjective coda is gotta be insane. Ot. It's pretty easy. No problem. Ot. Yeah, you can. It's not that hard to say, but it's well, a little interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's kind of with, like with um, different adjectives. Run, codas yeah, right. It's fun with different adjectives run together. Anyway. <laughs> um, and we've got this really magnificent paper on tonogenesis, which goes into things much, much more than we're going to go into here. Um, yeah. And if you're interested in it for especially historical, you know how to take a plain, boring, non-tonal language and make it tonal. That's the paper you want to see. Um, and yeah. in that, it surely, it really seems like a very common development leading you to a complex system is first you have simple tonogenesis, you know, high versus low. And then you have a tone split that happens from, you know, changes from due to your initial consonants. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really, um, what am I thinking? What was I thinking? Um, I, I think um, probably a very important thing to to realize is that if you're going to be driving tone to historically, you probably are going to end up with, you probably were going to want to start with slightly more complex syllables than you're planning to end up with. Yeah. Um, uh, more or more complex, depending on how complex you want your tone system to be. Because, um, like, if you look at reconstructions of old Chinese that go back to before tone existed, it was very, very complex syllable structure. Compared to Mandarin. Compared to, compared to what Mandarin has. It, it was, okay. um, I don't know, possibly, um, probably about as complex as English is with the uh, ability to have like three consonants on either side of the vowel. But, um, uh, don't quote me on that. Go, yeah. go research it for yourself. But basically, uh, those, that complex, uh, consonant, uh, structure, that, that complex syllable structure simplified and left behind tone and also a wacky vowel system. <laughs> yes. The, the, yeah, technical term wacky vowel system. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Nobody really understands what, it, what, what's going on there, but that's, that's, that's for a different show. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, this great paper, um, that, that I have the link to, um, the author Kingston basically thinks that most often it's, Coda consonants that cause tonogenesis, and then onsets cause tone splitting, which takes you from a simple to a complex tone system. Mm-hmm. So that that's the simple lesson he's trying to derive. And it doesn't matter if he's right, because the paper is just full of all sorts of great examples with pretty good um, historical examples. Yeah. So it's it's a, a good thing to be looking at to, to try to figure out exactly if you're going to do historically and actually do the tonogenesis bit, then, uh, probably important to, uh, figure out, you know, different ways of approaching that problem. Yep. Anything else about tonogenesis? Uh, no, not really. I think people can read the paper. Yeah. Or browse the paper. Yeah. So the next thing is orthography. This how this, are you going to write your tones? This is going to be a serious. <laughs> this this can be a yeah. serious issue if you if you plan on doing complex tones. Right. So if you have a complex tone system, you are much more likely to be in for a hard time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Especially if you have, as George calls it, a wacky vowel system. If you have lots of uh, vowel contrasts, uh, vowel mm-hmm. qualities, rather, that might also traditionally be marked by accents, then you're in a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, that that way lies, what is it, Vietnamese? That way man the most. Yes, yes, or Vietnamese. Um, so in the simplest world, something like Navajo, um, two-tone vowel system uses an acute accent for high tone and doesn't mark the vowel at all for low. That's yeah. very easy. That's my preferred system for a two-tone system. That's what La Don does if we're going to talk about invented languages. Yeah, and also um, just to, to note, uh, when you get the, the situation of uh, a falling or rising tone on a long vowel, then you just mark one of them. Right, right. So typically, uh, and this Navajo does this as well, it writes long vowels by writing the vowel twice. Mm-hmm. which is very simple to do. Um, and then any tone contours um, happen and, and they're just marked. You marked one or the other of the vowel or both of them. You can have a long high vowel too. Mm-hmm. Um, so one grammar of this language I've been talking about several times called Nobin, and I keep using it because there's a good Wikipedia article on it. Um, the author who wrote the standard modern grammar very strangely uses a grave accent to mark low and an acute accent to mark high which means that every single freaking vowel has an accent mark. Mm-hmm. If you are one of those conlangers who likes accent marks, there you go. Yeah. Um, what, what, um, Mandarin Pinyin does this, uh, too. I'm sorry. I missed, I missed what language you were talking about. No bean. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if you have a complex tone system and every single syllable has tone, you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, we have something that's a so-called neutral tone, which gets no mark, but that's a little weird and yeah. hairy. Um, for a three-tone system, acute high, no marking for middle, and a grave accent for low. Yeah, pitch. that works. Um, and that's what uh, Yoruba does. And Yoruba does have both high and low mid-vowels, so A and E, O and O. And it just uses the IPA symbols for that distinction. So you have, you know, an E and a backwards little epsilon um, or a normal epsilon and an O and a backwards upside down C. I actually quite like that system. Um, it's it's convenient. And especially if you need to mark tone, then you don't have to try to figure out some way to mark or to distinguish high and low tone from high and low vowel articulation. Yeah. Getting into sort of uh, more when you are doing more complex tone systems, uh, there's there's several things to do. Um, one one problem you may run into if you like lots of different uh, vowels and supersegmentals in your vowels is gets a situation like Vietnamese where you have to put some diacritics underneath yep. and such because uh, they have. Um, is it Vietnamese? Six. No, Vietnamese has six tones. Yes. Thai is the one that has um, tone and nasalization, doesn't? Isn't it? I don't think so. There's there was some language that has tone and nasalization. Maybe. Oh God! Yeah. So in that situation, uh, there are some languages that didn't want to do diacritics, so they made use of other letters to indicate nasalization. Um, sometimes in Lakota stuff, you'll see something that looks like an engma, you know, the N with the tail off it for the N, that does not, in fact, 
mark alveolar nasal, but in fact marks nasalization. Um, and that's because they need to mark uh, stress. Oh, there was some language we looked at that did that. Had that, that may be. Um, yeah. If you... If you look at IPA, it has some interesting stuff for tone so that you can use a circumflex, which is a little hat for a falling tone, and a hot check, which looks like a little V for a rising tone. And that's standard if you don't have a super complex tone system. Yeah. Um, another thing, this is maybe not something that you would want to use in your conlang, honestly, because it's kind of just like pure happenstance that it worked out this way, but Mandarin was able to basically choose diacritics that looked like the the contour of the tone. So right. first tone is a macron because it's uh high flat. Second tone is um acute accent, right? Because it's rising. Right. Third tone is uh a circumflex no it's a uh, the opposite of circumflex. Hot check. Hot check. Yeah, it's a hot check over a vowel uh, because it has that dip. And then fourth tone is a grave accent because it's falling. But that's just because Mandarin just happens to have four tones that look like that. And whoever designed Pinyin uh, ended up uh, just choosing to do it Lucking out. Yes. So, uh, you... You may end up with a situation where you can do that if you do a, a contour tone system, but uh, not. You can't always count on that. Right. Um, another crazy example that Mike is now suddenly excited about is Hmong. <laughs> I remembered the name. Yes. Yes. Spoken spoken by quite a few people around this area yes. in uh, in uh, Wisconsin, but uh, yes. for for interesting reasons. Um, but yes. They add letters that, um, they basically have illegal codic consonants that they just stick on to mean tones. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, My kids get thing. So that things like, uh, the, uh, po with a high, po with a, uh, a high tone is written P-O-B. Mm. And then po with a low tone is written P-O-S. So, <laughs> That's 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 an interesting uh thing to do. Um one thing I would say about that as opposed to using diacritics is like um if you are conlanging for fiction or literature, don't do it that way. No, mm, because like if you have diacritics the worst thing is people will ignore the diacritics and pronounce it without tone, which most readers will do anyway because um, uh, English-speaking readers just don't get tone. Yeah. With the the Hmong method, you will end up with people doing bizarre, horrible, things. bad pronunciations. So you you might uh, you might just want to avoid that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and so the next system. Um, a bunch of languages of Southeast Asia got their writing system from India, mm-hmm. which makes a whole mass of consonant articulation distinctions that are not used in their own languages. So what they did is they decided that we're going to have five different ways to write a particular sound. Um, and 
that your choice of consonant to mark that tells you what tone to use for the vowel. Yes. So <laughs> Thai is a good example. Lao is another one. If you choose version one of K, then the pitches or the tones are, you know, one and two. If you use the second one, then your tones are three and four. Um, that only applies to the stops, things like resonance, L, M, L, you know, L, M, R, things like that, Ys and Ws, don't have that distinction. So there are still typically tone marking symbols in these writing systems. They're just not used as often as you might like. <laughs> um, so, ta- yes, George is sighing. That was how I felt the first time I realized what was going on in Lao. Hmm. Um. So if you're inviting your own, inventing your own writing system, this is a possibility you could have is this, you know, a, a double or triple set of constant symbols um, that yeah. determine the tone of the vowel. Another interesting one, I'm going to paste this. Another interesting one using letters is uh, this one. Which, oh, is that how horrible thing used to... Oh, yeah, that's the one that, uh, that our teacher was talking about, didn't I, should. Yeah, and basically it spells the vowels differently. Uh, I, I think some of the consonants too, mm-hmm. based on the tone. And this is for Mandarin, which has crazy vowels in the first place. So it's it's god awful hard to understand. <laughs> oh wow! But it's probably easier to remember if you spell it differently rather than just throwing some dots and lines above the vowels. I mean, I have no problems it. remembering the dots and lines. Okay, that's yeah, crazy. but it's it's going to cause weird pronunciations. Um, nice, definitely. I've seen this system before, but I disapprove. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So so basically, those are your different options. We we obviously prefer some over others because uh, we live in a world with Unicode. You do not need to cram your language into what can be done by a Smith and Wesson. Not Smith and Wesson. Smith and Wesson makes guns. Who makes typewriters? Um, IBM used to. Yes, the old boring IBM typewriter. You do not need. Yeah, you have you have more options available to you. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's uh, not the uh, the our preferred method is to use diacritics and uh, smartly. Don't don't use more than you need to, and uh, just uh, understand that. Uh, all, but also understand as that as you get more and more complex tone systems, you might need more and more of them. Um, some, but. It you can think of interesting things for the native orthography if you are designing a writing system for your language. Um, there's languages like Thai and uh, Tibetan that mark tone with uh, with um, phantom consonants, yep. uh, often for historical reasons. Uh, so so you can you can do um, some interesting things that way. If you want to invent a language where the spelling system is awful as English or lost in Tibetan. Yeah. If, yeah, for, um, for the, the native orthography, but we have, we have our own, we, but, uh, we, we are suggesting diacritics for the romanization. <laughs> just, just, you can make your, your native orthography as crazy and convoluted as you want. In fact, I encourage that 
especially if you are making a writing system that supposedly has existed for a thousand years or more. Oh, yeah, you can have all sorts of fun using these historical processes, tonogenesis, tone splitting, all of that. You could have, you know, a word that looks like it's spelled, you know, grog, you know, is pronounced cool. Yeah, yeah. You just just have all sorts of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely that's that's definitely a an interesting uh thing you can you can think about with that. Um I don't know. Do we have any other particular tips or tricks? Nope. I can't think of anything. Uh, just um we talked about this in the last episode. I think probably most American conlangers don't do tone very often. So uh, one uh flourishingly Tonal language that I'd forgotten about for conlangs is Ithquil in its various incarnations has been tonal to a greater or lesser degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but there aren't too many of them. There are some. Um, but give them a try. There are lots of them in the world. Start one, with a two-tone system. It'll be fun. It'll be easy. Yeah. One um, one suggestion, and I say this, we, we mentioned this in the last episode when we uh, actually read the, the person who suggested this. Um, is if you feel like you have difficulty hearing tone, and it is something you have to acclimatize yourself to, uh, to, to, uh, understand it. Um, learn, try to start learning a tone of language and listen, make sure that you do a lot of listening practice. Uh, it's really easy to get materials for Chinese. Um, cool. and there's a lot of other languages you can choose from, uh, uh, William had, uh, something we attached to the show notes on the last episode of, uh, people reading the weather in, in Navajo. So you could hear Ooh. the tones in that. Yeah. Somewhere online, I'll see if I can find it, is a pronouncing dictionary of Navajo as well. So you can see the word written and then click a button and hear, um, a, a, a low bit rate version of someone pronouncing it. Yeah. Um, more, li- more listening practices is, is for tone is, is always better. And then, and then as you are creating your words, sort of sound them out and, and see if you can, um, and, and see if you can get good enough at the tones that you can start actually, you know, saying full sentences and do tones plus your regular sentence intonation and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so one thing I want to mention now that I'm, you know, we're talking about crazy systems of marking tone. Some of the tools we have available to us to generate words, you know, something like awkwards, mm-hmm. sometimes chokes hard on diacritics. Oh, yeah. yeah. So awkwards has or, some problems with Unicode in general. Yeah, Unicode in general. Or you find yourself typing in A, high tone A, mid tone A, falling tone A, low rising tone A, and you, you're typing A 15 different ways, or, you know, to accommodate all your yeah. tones. In that situation, you might want to make up a system of illegal coded consonants just to make it easier to generate um, words. One, actually, one way I've done that is, um, and we haven't mentioned this, uh, sometimes uh, for uh, like Chinese, they, you know, Chinese, so I talk about first tone, second tone, third tone uh, in Chinese. Those are, um, the, those are traditional a traditional numbering of those tones. Right. You could use those tone numbers and very often in environments where diacritics are inconvenient, uh, people just put those numbers after the syllable. 
yep. for uh, your awkward generation, you can just have like a list of numbers and say, okay, put and randomly put one of these at the end of each syllable. Yep. So, yep. So there, there's, there's different ways you can deal with it. Anything else about tone? Uh, nope. Sounds good. I think. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, uh, a cool idea. Um, so why don't we move on to our feedback? And this is another suggestion that I was holding on to for a while, but realized that I probably should just read it. Um, it says, Hi, George and Co. After several months, I have finally caught up with all the Conlangry podcasts. I'm very impressed that you've kept them going so long and, and kept the standard up. Can I suggest another area you might like to look at language contact, particularly creoles and pigeons. A lot of conlangers model change within a family, but there's not many conlangs with more than one ancestor. Uh, creoles and pigeons with their restricted vocabulary, morphology, and word order might be good for beginners or for someone looking for a quick, fun project. Yet they can form larger projects too, e.g. if different registers are taken into account. Uh, you could base one on, you could base one on real world languages or conlangs. Uh, there's some theoretical debate to be had here too. Bickerton and other universalists versus those who favor sociocultural explanations. Yeah, that's interesting. The problem for me with doing something like this is that I would have to invent a bunch of languages. Mm. Yeah, this, the, the, the issue with, I don't think uh, Creoles and Pigeons are necessarily that much easier to do just because basically you got to invent at least two languages in the first place and then combine them. Um, but it, it could be an interesting topic. It's a little bit of a uh, conworldy topic too because obviously if you have Creoles and Pigeons, then these have to exist within some world where you have some story about how these two languages came into contact. It might be easier to pull off if you decided to make, as he said, I mean, use natlangs, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, but you still have to study both natural right, languages right. fairly in depth. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's references to this um, Basque Algonquin Creole that came into existence in along the shores of Canada on the north. East due to <laughs> due to cod fishing, huh. um, which someone needs to recreate because that's just a brilliant idea. <laughs> what happens when you creolize? You know, oh, it's, it's just my mind just goes blank. Just trying there, to imagine it. There are actually quite a few conlangers that do this sort of thing, uh, as I understand it. The a uh, few people who um uh who have created sort of Creole languages. Among, really? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a small contingent that, that have, have done a few of these things. It's, it's an idea that pops up on the forums often. Well, if so, people go through with them and get something large enough for us to talk about, let us know. I mean, I, we, we have lots of these, what I've been calling bogo language, right? These historical languages, you take language A and run it through the sound languages. Yeah. Chain would be, but I, I'm having a hard time thinking of any of these worked out sort of fantasy creoles. I don't know. I I have heard of of a few. Um, um, probably 
probably should look at uh, people who do the quote unquote lost langs. Sure. Um, which a lot of those are booger langs, but I think there may be some, some Creoles in there. Look, some Welsh miners ended up learning to speak Hopi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get, you can have lots of crazy fun. I think, uh, a, a you know, good... if, if Welsh miners learned Hopi, you would simply get Nahuatl. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, Hopi announcer. Anyway, sorry. I, I, I think, uh, a, a good, um, I have been thinking about this for a while, but a really good option for making some interesting sort of weird contact stuff, I think would be to set your con world in a generation ship and put several different languages in there. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, the, to me, like the generation ship is, is great because it's just like, it's a city in a can. It's right. Shake, shake vigorously to mix. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you just, you just put a bunch, uh, a couple different language groups in there and they're completely isolated from anybody else. So you don't have to worry about other outside influences. Just take what the languages are like now or at some hypothetical point in the future and yeah, shake vigorously. The problem is you're going to have important signs like don't go out the airlock are going to be in you're going to have lots of textual material putting a break on the change unless you hit yeah. them if unless you well, can you can, people you away can from have them. interesting sociolinguistic stuff where maybe one official language has has uh higher prestige sure. and the creole is like the low man on the totem pole okay yeah. yeah i don't know it's it's it would be an interesting project to think about it's it's one that i've been thinking about doing for a while but uh it to be a very big ship i'm busy i'm uh I, I, most of my conlanging that i've been doing has been in my fantasy world so i haven't really been thinking haven't been working on that uh so anyway that does it for this episode of conlangery william do you have any final words of wisdom make a two-tone language do it do it uh mike um yeah i'd say uh same as what you said earlier listen to tonal languages because you know i stayed away from them for a while because i didn't want to sound like a robot trying to you know, articulate the tones very clearly, but if, as you'll hear in running speech, the tones do smooth out and they will become more natural. Just work with it and listen to yeah. uh, Nat Lang's examples and do it. Yeah, I, I, I will. I will reiterate that and stress. You know, it's very important. It's it's easy to like forget that tonal languages also have sentence level intonation too, and uh, listening to them a little bit can help you suss out how that all works out. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's sort of a gestalt thing you have to get. It's There's not much uh, easy way to uh, explain it technically. So, with that I'm going to say Happy Conlang! Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a conlang or natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society 
and our theme music is by Null Device. Are we ready to go? Yes. Okay. In three, two, one. Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. Um, for people who are just turning into tuning into the podcast, me and William are both in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And George uh, is getting his first taste of Wisconsin winter. <laughs> yeah, my apartment usually is quite warm, but not like, today. It's been, getting, it's been getting cold recently. <laughs> I don't know why. Because it's zero out. Yeah, and Jeez. up in up in Maine, we have Mike Lentine. Hi there. Does it get Does it get pretty cold in Maine, or do currents? help with that well oh, it gets plenty cold um according to google let me just check on this i don't have a thermo- uh, thermometer out hang on yeah actually the currents might actually because doesn't the current come up come down from the arctic to maine it's still water that holds a lot of heat energy so typically along the coast pretty far north it still moderates temperature nicely okay so let's uh, see i thought that I, I was just thinking that that current might be, like, going uh, counterclockwise. Doesn't matter. Still know. water. Still warmer well, than a block of current, dry ice. Currently, okay. it says it's uh, 16 degrees here, with the low mm-hmm. this week being, like, negative 2. Right. So, we're all getting smacked by this lovely thing. Yeah, definitely. Just another yeah. reason for me to stay inside and play with my new banjo. Yes. Well, I got a, a a very good coat and a scarf and a hat and gloves when, over Christmas. <laughs> when I was a student and I worked in a lab and we had this poor guy from southern India who was wearing a ski mask already in October. Wow. Yeah, that's not me. Yeah, Does it get that cold in October? No. <laughs> he thought so. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, he's one. He's from one of those places where they don't get snow. So. Oh no, no snow there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you guys get much snow. I, I I introduced Mike, right? Okay, yes, you yes, did. Hello. Let's uh let's let's get on to the business, and we're going to talk about ranges and others. So it may not be exactly. Right to divide things that way, but it makes it easier to talk about. Hello? Okay, and nobody can hear me. I can hear you now, but it was very garbled earlier. William? I can I sort of hear, but, I can hear you. but it's it's a disaster. Hmm. 
Oh dear. Uh, this. Do you want to try restarting the conversation and see if it's a routing problem? Yeah. Okay. I can. I can do that. Hello. 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 Okay, that sounds better. Okay. Yeah, Are we better. doing a bit better? Now you guys sound slightly downsampled. Slightly uh, what? Slightly muffly. I really hope I don't have to restart my computer. <laughs> uh, I don't know because you guys, you, I can't hear what I sound like to you guys. So you guys have to, I, I don't know what to do. Well, except we probably sound the same to you that you sound to us. No, you guys sound fine. Really? Well, you... Hmm. Yes. Both of you sound high, very downsampled to me. Well, William, you, well, you're, you're skipping out a bit, and George, you're skipping out a bit, so I don't know how I sound to you guys. <laughs> you were you were downsampled for a little bit, but now you're fine. Hmm. Weird. Annoying. Yeah. So How, is I it bad weather out there or something? Nope. Let me know if I'm if I'm cutting out. George, you're always cutting out. I, I'm having a very Okay, hard time. never mind. I'm going to try to... Okay, can you guys hear me well? A little bit better, yeah. Uh, should I restart? <clears throat> Skipping a bit, but, you know... Guys, follow me? No. I'm going to restart my computer. All right. Let's um, delete that, and I will give it a, a fun name. Let's make it uh, George Gertrude. Through. Do you like the G names? There we go. Ooh, sounds so Ooh. spiffy. Ha 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 ha!